0: Friends, professionals, welcome to another Modern Lending Podcast live. I'm your host, Alec Hanson. We are here in season two of the Modern Lending Podcast, going through a variety of topics down the line of mortgage lending to help you guys and ourselves become better professionals. Today, we're going to be having a robust conversation on how to consult and quote our clients in the best possible way. I think this is an area we all need to learn more about. Think about it. We all understand and believe that when someone asks for a rate, you don't just fling out an L.E., there's a conversation there's a questions but are you asking the right ones are you providing the right level of counsel and are you delivering the highest possible level of customer service to your customers by asking the right questions today we're bringing on Barry Habib the man who literally needs no introduction because all you have to do is google everybody google him and find out everything he's done in our industry it's crazy there's no business cards anymore you should just say google me Barry Habib we're excited to have you on the show let's kick it off it's t- All right, brother. We already got comments going in. What's up, Matt? Good to see you. Barry, thank you for hanging out today. Um, I swear you're the busiest guy in mortgage. Like, you are just everywhere I look on the internet, I see your face, which is great because you're always here with tremendous information. So, thanks for joining today.
1: It's such an honor to be with you, always, brother.
0: (laughs) Well, before we start, Barry, you know, I, I definitely want to talk about um, your CMA course, all the cool stuff you're doing there. I want to get into consulting and quoting in the digital and modern age or whatever we call it today. Um, but, but it's such a privilege to have you. And, and one of the things that I, that everyone always appreciates about just getting time with you is hearing about the market. There's always confusion. There's lots of, man, there's lots of confusion. Um, I feel like there's never been not confusion. I feel like for the last five, 10 years, it's been like, well, we don't know. And apparently, with free now, Golden uh, uh, Crystal Ball Awards, you know, Barry, at least you're closer to, to, to the reality than any of us. So what are you seeing out there, brother? Give us some insight. What's going on in the industry today, in the market?
1: Well, it looks to me like we're going to probably see rates move up a little bit over the summer months. And the reason for that is just inflation. And it, when, when we talk about interest rates, we want to find out what drives and what moves interest rates. And it's inflation. So Alec, if you think about a mortgage and think about it as someone who is lending the money, lending your own money, yep. you're going to be receiving fixed monthly payments every month for the next goodness knows how many years. Right. So if you were to take that payment and buy a shopping list of goods and services, what you discover over time is the buying power of that fixed payment that you're receiving begins to erode and it begins to erode because inflation drives prices up. So when inflation's very low, You can have very low rates because the erosion that occurs is minimal. But if inflation starts to rise, then as an investor, you need to be compensated for that by taking a little bit of a higher payment that's coming in through a higher interest rate that you're going to be charging. So you can't be retroactive on that unless it was an adjustable. But on future loans that you would do, you're going to take the temperature on what the current inflation environment is, what the anticipated inflation environment is going to be and then issue an interest rate based upon those things. So right now inflation's really low. If we take one of the popular measurements there called the consumer price index, it's in the 1.6% range on the core rate, which is what the fed really wants to look at because it strips out food and energy. The fed doesn't have the influence with monetary policy over food and energy prices. You know, you get a tanker stuck in this <laughs> US canal fed can't do anything with that. So what, what they want to do is look at the core rate, which, which is what they believe they could have influence over. And that's at 1.6%. It's pretty low. It's moved up just a little bit and mortgage rates have moved up a little bit too. So those are kind of commensurate with each other. However, there's some things that are about to happen, Alec. Right after Mother's Day, you're going to get the report for April's consumer price index. Right. When you get April of 2021, you're going to replace April of 2020. When you look at April of 2020's reading, it was negative four tenths of a percent. So I think that this month will come in positive two tenths, maybe positive three tenths. That's our guess. We don't know for sure, but you got to put a stake in the ground somewhere to write, to make a model. And that would mean that inflation would jump from 1.6 to 2.2 or 2.3. You take it to the next month in June and it probably gets to about two and a half or more. Because of the comparisons from the previous year, you're wiping out May of 2020, which was negative one tenth of a percent. Yep. So when we look at this, Alec, and you're saying, okay, can you offer a rate in the very low threes or so, or three? Let's call it. I don't know. I'm, I don't know what everybody's rate is today, but yeah. around three percent, right? So right. if inflation's 1.6 and you're charging a rate or offering a rate of three, okay. But if inflation's 2.6 or 2.5 or 2.0 points in that range, I don't think you'd offer a rate of three. So I believe that interest rates will move up to three and a half, three and five eighths, maybe even a little higher than that over the summer months. The good news is, is I think they ease back down in the fourth quarter. So I think they're gonna come back down. And then I'll also tell you that I think in 2022 or 2023, we have recession-like conditions approaching. So whether we get the textbook definition or not, I think there's gonna be a big refinance opportunity that's going to present itself with lower rates in 2022, 2023, it's hard to get the exact timing. So many moving parts, all the stimulus, all this stuff. So, but, but it will wear off. The stimulus is is ephemeral and, and as it wears off, the economy will slow, that will slow inflation, that will reduce interest rates and perhaps put us in recession or close to it with slower growth. So the takeaway from this right now is that if I'm talking to a customer, I would say, don't dilly dally. I would say yeah. you, you need to get in there. And the other thing, Alec, is that a lot of customers have their heart set on a rate below three. So they're holding off. Ah, no, it's a, like like three percent or three and an eighth is so darn bad, right? <laughs> I, I want two and five eight, or I want two and three quarters. And they're feeling butthurt that they missed it. So they're they're sitting back and waiting for this, and it's it's more than likely going to move away from them and they would be begging for the chance to get three or three and an eighth over the summer months in my humble opinion. So, so what,
0: very, I can ask you a question here though, on this. Yeah, guys, I just want to
1: finish the thought process, but just one last thing. Sorry. Uh, so what I would like people to do is show people how much money you would be saving. We have a tool we created in MBS, however, that does it in a second, but if you could calculate it, show people the savings that they have today, and take that out for the nine months or twelve months it might take for rates to get back down under three percent if it happens and then say okay well, you're right but you lost on saving you know whatever three or four hundred dollars for nine months or twelve months now take the incremental savings from the lower rate in the future that you would get so maybe you get an extra 60 bucks or 70 bucks. how long does it take for the incremental savings to recover or recoup what you have been losing because you're sitting and waiting and it's oftentimes four five years. And I think people don't, you know, you know, a lot of what we need to do is articulate and illustrate. And I think that's what makes an advisor very effective in their consultation. I know you talked about this in the beginning, so I'm just trying to tie a loop around this whole thing because it really comes down to that. There's a lot of other things I want to talk about, but that's just one quick area where we could take, take away from the economic data, put it into action, and be effective in our sales approach. And that's the thing. You don't want to spin wheels. You want to be effective. And that's the question everybody has to ask themselves. How effective are you? Are you really an effective advisor salesperson? Or were you just taking orders and people throwing transactions at you and fooling ourselves into thinking, oh, I'm great. You know, And I'm not, I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm just well, trying to help people realize this.
0: No, Barry, this is exactly what I wanted to have the conversation with you on today. So it was a great little you know, march down towards where we're at, because you're right. You have on one hand a bunch of people who want the rates in the twos, and 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 I, and I know it because we have a bunch of you know approved loans that are floating, and people want them in the twos. So I know other companies. Everyone's got this issue with customers that are in that space. And you're right. I think through 2020, a lot of people probably by accident became order takers, because it was like, what? Here's my rate. Is that good? Okay, good. And you just you just kind of did the transaction by transaction. And now as we look towards what we're facing today and onward with this inventory crisis and all the other stuff that's going on, being an advisor is really going to separate the winners from, from the people who don't achieve what they're capable of achieving. And so, you know, you have a great program with this, you know, uh, the, the certified mortgage advisors tremendous and we'll talk more about it today because I want you to share more about it, but I do want you to kind of share a couple of your thoughts, just like you did in regards to current conversations that we're having with customers. So you handle the the one with the 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 customer who wants the twos rates and the twos is is an elegant answer and I want to reiterate it for people that didn't hear because the reality is as we wait and if they do decide to wait their rates are going to be up in the mid threes and they're gonna miss the opportunity of what they could have had right now and you start doing the math on that and you realize wow this is significant a significant amount of money that is being left on the sidelines so Barry how, how do you respond or talk to people today who um, let's just address the elephant in the room. They don't want to buy a home or they're scared of buying a home because everything's being run up. Everyone's overbidding. And you know that's a major conversation loan officers are having right now. How do you coach through that and consult through that?
1: You're right. It is the, the biggest issue that's going on right now because while people are saying, I have to adjust my game plan and be more purchase oriented. Yep. And what people are also beginning to feel is the large footprint from many companies that are fintech oriented, that are when the pie was enormous, you felt a little bit less of it. Right. Mm-hmm. But now people are starting to look over their shoulder or hear the footsteps of these giant players that are, are having influence. Yeah. So I think people realize this, and, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because what the sad part about having a big year like this is, you know, one of the things I, I always learned is, you know, don't believe your own press clippings okay yeah. and staying humble. There's, um, there is there was uh, a wonderful story of uh, a doctor, Ignaz Sam, Samowitz, mm-hmm. uh, Samwise and um, Dr. Weiss, um worked in a mm-hmm. small hospital. And what he, you know, and and he, back in the 1800s, you know, the important physicians, they worked in these big hospitals and prestigious hospitals. And what he made the connection to was children at childbirth were dying very rapidly in the expensive hospitals and not so much in the poor hospitals where he worked. And he tried to explain that this was because in the wealthy, high level hospitals, it was insulting to a woman when she came in to wash her because it led the impression that she was dirty. So there was bacteria, there was child and infant deaths. He tried to prove this point and he was shut down to the point where he was, they took, they stripped him of his license because the physicians were insulted and they said, you're going to make you, you're a lowly doctor. You're going to make us wash our hands that he said you, the doctors should be washing their hands. Right. Yeah. And he actually wound up being put in an institution. That's what they were, had the power yeah. to do in those days. They wound up going crazy in an institution. So the question is, is, are you too proud to wash your hands? And after a very big year or yeah. a couple of years, when your W-2 is big, if you read your own press clipping, you say, oh, look at how much money I made. I'm great. I'm too good to do some of the basic things that I'm supposed to be doing because now I've reached this status or level. I think that's a mistake. You know, I've been very blessed in my career. I've done a few things here and I never forget that. I never say I've reached this. No, I I get up at five o'clock in the morning. I start reading because I need to be really, really, really sharp every single day. So I push myself really hard so that I could be at the very top of my game, and I think that everybody needs to be doing that. And it's very easy, you know. I, I love the quote that you know it's 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 easy to be hungry when you're starved, but it's hard to stay hungry when you're full. And that hunger has to come from within. And what we really need to do is we really need to make sure that we are having these consultations from the perspective. Of being equipped with knowledge, oh. and the knowledge that we have to have right now, because look, I mean, our tools are our words. Okay, yeah, that, that's it. And the effective articulation of those words. What's the big problem out there right now? Buyers are losing engagement because they're becoming discouraged. Can't find anything. except come back in six months. Yep. We have to show them that six months later, it's going to be worse. Not only in rate, but more importantly, prices will go up people are saying prices have gone up. I'm hearing in the media that there's going to be a housing crash or a bubble, so I don't want any part of it and yep. they miss or they're shy to go above asking price because, well, first of all, it doesn't feel right to do that. And it doesn't feel good to do that. You feel like you're being taken advantage of. Does. So I don't want to play in this game. Now, I'm not saying that always makes sense, but That's there true. will be occasions where it will. So what are we doing to solve that? Are, are we, number one, showing things like a cost of waiting analysis for them, which is something we could do. Are we doing things that will show them in a bid over ask scenario in that particular zip code? How long will it take for the value of the home to eclipse what they're bidding? In many cases, it might only take three or four months, but in some cases it might take five or six years. Maybe that's not a good way to get into the market. People ask me is there a housing bubble? There's not an overall housing bubble, but people may put themselves in an individual bubble. If you go out there and you overpay for a home to where it's unreasonable, some cases it's reasonable, and it all depends on the zip code, the appreciate, but you can give yourself your own housing bubble.
0: Yes, great advice. You're absolutely right. And by the way, can I go back, Barry, on your comment about um, not reading your own press clippings? Because I have to say this out loud because people need to hear it. There, I have, I have personally managed and been around originators who had such stellar years that they literally have said to me, I don't, I don't need to work with realtors anymore. Those people, you know, I, I, I've made it, I've, I've crested through and I sat there in shock. Um, and, and I, and I just don't want anyone else to experience this because, you know, my dad said this the best when I was young and I was had a chip on my shoulder and I graduated from Berkeley and I thought I was all smart. And I went out and started talking to realtors and I was like, wow, you know, Mm, these people aren't as smart as me and this just ego, 23 year old idiot kid. And my dad sat me down and he's like, Alec, no matter what industry you do, no matter what you do in the world, you're going to serve somebody. Don't stop thinking that you get to get away from not serving people. You're going to serve people. And if you want the opportunity and mortgage, it's serving the real estate community. And I was like, you know, it rocked me, but no matter how good we get, you know, Barry, we have to recognize that, that, those realtors still have massive influence still are some of our best partners and, and we need to definitely not read our own press press. So share a little more about your own private bubble. I mean, I I'm taking that to mean someone's going to stretch themselves, burn through their savings, take all that extra cash, get that house. And then, you know,
1: what I'm I'm talking specifically on is this in the instance that, and that's why you need an evaluation process in the instance that you're going to be able to, Get back the amount that you've overpaid for a home. So, look, if, if the home is selling, let's just pick numbers. Five hundred is the asking price, right? And and the the AVM or appraised value is in that range, okay? So, if I go in there at five twenty, I need to know when will the value of the home reach five twenty or more? That's the that's the big question. People don't know they need to ask this question, but that's the question we have to teach people to ask. Yes. So this the evaluation is if it's going to take four months or five months, well, it's going to take two months to close, three months after. That's probably a good deal. And then what is the long term prospects for this home? Is the forecast for it to be you know it's going to be worth in five years another hundred or two hundred thousand hours? That's a very good deal. So sure, I want to pay over asking, but if in some of these crazy instances, the asking price is five hundred, but the ABM or real appraised value is 450 to begin with. And then they're going in at 550 or 560 or 575 on a 450 property. It might take five years before it eclipses it. And then what we don't know could happen in the interim. And therefore, when we put ourselves in that position, you could be, you could be creating a bubble on your home. It's not the real estate market that's in a bubble, but you can put your home in a bubble. there's a huge conceptual difference that we have to first understand and then explain to others because there is no housing bubble per se. What we're looking at here is we're looking at appreciation that will continue. So if appreciation that we forecast this year, 8%, but if ongoing appreciation is in the four or five or 6% range, but you pay 50% more than the value of your home, it's going to take a long time for four or 5% to reach that. Okay. So we, we have to, we have to remember these things step by step and really got our customers more than ever. This is where you get to shine because your competitors aren't gonna do that. You're speaking a very different language. And and there's other aspects too. People don't understand affordability. They don't understand that income does not have to match. The first thing they look at is the median home price. Don't look at that. Look at the actual level of appreciation. And, And right now, year over year, it's 12%. So that's a lot. And then they look at hourly earnings, which is only 4%. Don't look at that. It's weekly earnings because you can work more or less hours. Now, that's 7%. So you say, okay, 12% appreciation, 7% hourly earnings. Even with the numbers you gave us, Barry, doesn't make sense. But it doesn't have to because you don't use all of your income. This is where the math comes in. You use a portion of your income, probably around 20% for the principal interest payment. So that means if there's appreciation of 12%, you only need a raise of 2.4% in your income to meet that. As long as interest rates stay about the same. And 7% increase in income is handling it. So affordability isn't the issue. And here's the other concept that people don't understand. I'm going to try and break it down because it's a little deep, Alec. So here we go. I'm buckled up. Let's go. Okay. Here we go. You're in California. Yes. We know that it's not inexpensive in California. Okay. It is quite expensive. But yet, Alec, what do prices amazingly continue to do? They go up. Why? In the United States, the home rate is 67% right now. In California, it's closer to 55%. So how is California compensating for higher prices? The way that it's compensating for it is not because prices need to come down. Prices will come up, but what's happening is, is it's shaving off the people that no longer can qualify and now having fewer people that can qualify 55%. but. The population is so vast right. that 55% of a very big number is more than the homes that are available. So, because you have more people than homes, it is the law of economics. If we stop with all the BS and just make it simple, if pe- more people want to buy than people are willing to sell, prices go up, and it's that simple. That's that's it's that simple. So. Prices in the United States will continue to go up, but less people will be able to catch it.
0: You know, so I, I want to shift as we continue this conversation, Barry. And first of all, Gerard, thank you for this nice quote. Um, it's fun that you guys are all watching us. And by the way, I'm going to ask, I'm going to do this, Barry. I love, this is my favorite thing to do. For everybody that's watching right now, um, if you write a thoughtful question in and we and I like it and I give it to Barry, I'm going to buy you Barry's book, Money in the Street. Uh-huh. Barry, that's my favorite thing to do. It's a great book. I've done it before. You guys ask a thoughtful question and we, and we answer it because it's nice. I'm going to buy you Barry's book. It's fun. Yeah. This, this is a part of it. being live that's fun. I like this crap. i to put the reading classes. So Barry, let me, let me tee this up with this. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was because your certified mortgage advisor program is fire. It's incredible. You put a lot of effort into it. In fact, I said this to you before we, we kicked off. You know, I've had leadership at, this organ, at, my, at Loan Depot tell me that in their 20 years of experience through your CMA course, they learned more than in the mortgage you know, world than they have learned in their entire 20 years in the program. And so if anybody is looking at how to become a better consultant, Barry has nailed a couple of things that no, hopefully you didn't miss. Number one, your words are your weapon. Your words are what's going to separate you and your knowledge, how you use those words is what's going to differentiate you. And if you're in a competitive market, which we're going into, Because as the market kind of shrivels down and refinances kind of turn a little bit softer, all the big guns start going after all the same loans. Your differentiation is going to be your words and your knowledge. And so, Barry, your course is amazing, but you're adding to it. And I want you to share some of the stuff that's coming out because it's incredibly exciting.
1: Well, going back to Ignat Sammelweis, right? Do we want to say that, okay, we've got something that, and, and, you know, thank God we're hearing that from everybody. And I'm so humble and grateful for it. I, I really am so appreciative for all the kindness and all the good things that people are saying. And, you know, I, I wake up every morning and you see all these comments come in from people that went through the course and graduated. It's just, it's just, what a wonderful way to. I, I feel like I'm so blessed and so lucky that to know what we're doing is doing good out there. So, uh, and all of us get a chance to do that, right? The amazing things that everyone in the mortgage industry gets to do and touch people's lives in, in a positive way and change their lives. is just, it's gotta be a great feeling for all of us. So, I don't want to be like, okay, well, that was good. You know, I'm always thinking about what can we do to top it? How can we make it better? So, you know, everybody loves the technical analysis piece. You know, yeah. it's, it's really important. And people are like, oh my gosh, I never saw anything like this. And I remember when I learned this 30 years ago, it was like, it really changed my life. Yeah. And it gave me so many opportunities to then start going on CNBC and start doing yeah. this and creating Mortgage Market Guide. and It, it just... So, I love giving this gift back to people and teaching people how to do it. But what I thought we'd do is take the guy who created Japanese or brought Japanese candlesticks to the United States, who was the, literally the father of Japanese candlesticks in the US, and my mentor, and the man who literally wrote the book on it, wrote several books on it, and let's get him to teach a course within CNBC. Yeah. We're adding that. And then everybody who watches CNBC knows Katie Stockton, who's also a dear friend of mine. So I'm flying Katie to Atlanta. We're gonna film in Atlanta where we filmed the studio there. She's gonna do it. And then I've got a bunch of other things that are little secrets there that we're adding to it. So we've got this thing which everybody loves, everybody is great. Like, okay, we just got to make it better though. We've got to keep on growing it and building it. And and that's I think that's what we all need to be doing every day. Is thinking to ourselves, what can we do to get better today or make things better for our clients, whether that's your customer. And I'll tell you what, Alec, the way that everybody who's listening to this can do that is invest in your brain so that what you can give to others can really make a difference in their lives and change their life for the better. Listen, Alec, we've talked about this before. We need achievement goals. You need that. You need financial goals. Do never be ashamed of that. Okay. Take it from somebody who grew up extraordinarily poor, really, really poor. Financial goals are important, so be proud of those but you also need fulfillment in your life. And that for most of us comes from doing good, helping others, being meaningful. That's what really kind of rounds it out to make us to make us really happy. Because how many people do we know that financial success, achievement success, they seem like they've got everything, but they're not happy. I think in some of those cases, they're missing fulfillment. So um, you get a chance to do that every day in this wonderful world that we're in. Invest in your brain so that you give, more than just taking an application and and give people that guidance that can change their life.
0: And that just makes
1: us feel amazing.
0: And, you know, um, we don't need to get into this on this conversation, Barry, but I've I've still, one of my favorite experiences of you is listening to you tell the story of that person who was crippled by high interest card, interest rate debt, you know, credit card debt. And just from a series of asking the right questions, you know, it, it wasn't about the rate anymore. It was about the solution you were providing that person and, and, you know, in, when we talk about consulting and quoting somebody, you know, obviously it goes without saying, asking questions, getting to know the person, getting deep is what's going to give you the opportunity to use your knowledge effectively to solution their problem. So I, I, I just, you're totally right. Fulfillment, personal fulfillment. And, and some of that too comes with perspective, right? Just understanding that sometimes we get so transactional and we're just solving problems that we forget we're actually impacting people's lives in the most stressful event they're probably going to have. So um, we have a few more minutes and I, and I got, we got one of our first questions here. That's, that's legit. I like it because it's just, it's a high level Barry, but you know, in, in your opinion, chicken and egg, what happens first is inventory increasing, <laughs> which I have my own opinions on, or is home ownership demand decreasing? And, and what do you see, Barry? Home ownership
1: demand in our opinion increases because we will see, you know, one of the things that we we brought to light, I think for the last 20 years is the importance of demographics in our industry. And it really helped us. I, r- I remember being on CNBC and getting hate mail when I told people don't do NEGAM loans, don't do, co- oh get yes, hate mail. And, you know, we were very bullish on the housing market in 2002, three, four, and I was on CNBC talking about that. But in 2006, we changed and we started going a little negative and cautious on the housing market. People were like hating us. And they said, well, what was the change? And the change was looking at the demographics because the median age of a first-time home buyer being 33 years old, you look back to 1973's birth rates, that 33 year old in 2006, in 1973, the birth rates dropped. They actually plummeted because that's when abortions were made legal. So in 2006, far fewer buyers coming to the market, but builders didn't get the memo. They built a record number of homes, 2 million homes. And that was the unwinding of that housing market. And then lenders tried to make up with it with creative programs to fit more people in the funnel. Yep. Not only lasted so long. So when you got to 2007, that's when the emperor had no clothes, you know, that's when we could start to see the problems that, that, uh, that started to occur. And then it just got real ugly because you had this imbalance, but now it's the opposite. There's too many buyers, not enough inventory. And you can't, you can't say, okay, well, people will sell their homes and, and, and move up because that means they need to buy a home. So that will create <laughs> transactions but not increase inventory. So that's okay. That's a good thing, right? But older people don't want to leave because they are in a position where they've gotten a little bit fearful of long-term care facilities. So they're not vacating those homes. It's a difficult situation. The only solution is builders building more homes, but lumber's gone up. What is it? Oh my gosh. This month and 300% of late in the last couple of years. And then you have regulation. Land is limited. Prices are going up. So builders can build homes and make profit. It's hard to do so with a lower priced home because everything is compressed, but your fixed costs yep. remain same. These are all things that create a puzzle that is difficult to uh, to solve. Now, what, what I, I, I wish people in Congress would think about is they, they have these straw, you know what a straw man argument is, right? A straw man argument is it's an argument that you just throw out there and everybody we need better schools. Who's yes. going to say no? no one's going to say no.
0: No, we don't. Well,
1: we need to help first-time home. Who's going to say no to that? Okay. All right. So everybody. So, everybody, so it's a rallying cry, but it's not well thought out. Mm. It's very ill conceived because if the, if the devil's in the details, if if your way to do it is with a tax credit or cash of twenty to twenty-five thousand, there's two proposals out there. Once for fifteen thousand yep. tax, you got the twenty to twenty-five thousand. These proposals, all that's going to do is exacerbate, it's putting gasoline on a fire. So we have too hot of a situation with too many people want to buy. The problem isn't that. The problem is not enough homes because it's too expensive to build for those people who need them. You're going to make it more expensive. What happens, Alec, when you have now another 15 to 20% increase in demand on that lower end? What happens to the prices? They're going to go up, which makes it harder for people to purchase a home, okay? So if we were to just think about this in Washington and say, wait a minute, if we were to try, I know it's less popular because it doesn't buy as many votes for you, but it really addresses the problem. If you were to say, you know what, let's give builders who are willing to build 75% or lower, 80% or lower in the median home price in this marketplace, let's help incent them to do that by subsidizing the increase we've seen in labor or making regulation a little bit easier for them or whatever it is, yeah. help them add to supply so yeah. that now you really help the people that need it. Yeah, yeah. They don't need the $20,000 because they could buy a home for $20,000
0: less. Yes, push the supply side, uh, not the demand side. <laughs> so Barry, let me ask you this here as we wind down here and everyone that's hanging out with us, um, another good question and you get a free copy of, uh, of Barry's book from me because I appreciate you guys engaging live. It's fun. So Barry, you mentioned this a few times, um, not even just in our conversation, but just that there's, there's this fear or possibility of recessions type thing in the future. And, and I don't have your kind of brain, but I, I see a lot of stimulus. I see sure. a lot of economic wreckage that's hidden. I, I know there are people that haven't been paying their, their rent for their commercial space or their businesses. Like they're not, that's that, like, I feel like the bill's got to come due. I feel like it can't just get you know, washed away. So when you say this, what, what indicators are you looking at? What, what gives you that viewpoint of like, yeah, hey, there's still something coming. Don't know when, can't put our thumb on it, but share with everybody what's, what you're seeing.
1: There's a, lot to, there's a lot that concerns me. The stock market is the most expensive in history, but yeah. we keep feeding this with more steroid. You know? The stimulus plans have proven to be ephemeral. They do wear off. Yeah, it does, that's why I'm thinking is recession is likely. So you know, during a recession, thank goodness we're in the mortgage business because we actually do okay. And recession's even pretty, we actually do really well because interest rates come down and people are looking for ways to increase cash flow through refinances or cash out. So the mortgage business is a wonderful place if you think a recession's happening as well. Um, I, I, I am fearful that the overall economy with this level of debt and this level of stimulus and this, this, this eye towards, there's no limit to spend. Um, and, and then making, I don't want to get political here, but I, I don't like to see extra. I don't like to see if, if the tax proposal on corporate taxes goes into effect the way that it's proposed, except for, I look at all the statistics, except for Denmark, you can look this up, you could pull this up. There would be the most expensive countries to do business in the world. Number one would be Denmark. And if this proposal goes to number two would be the United States. And I don't have to tell you that this is more competitive than it used to be. This is not 30 years ago. We we are, we we need competitiveness and we need to incent creativity. How many businesses that are out there today were started in Europe compared to the United States or other parts of the world where they have greater population. We do this with incentives. We do this with, with fostering entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. And not punishing these things, and I guess the philosophy here, and again, I'm sorry if, if I don't mean to do anything that offends. I'm just speaking it. That's what I asked for. You. you know, uh, if if we here's what happens: it takes you longer to get an Uber ride today, and it's more expensive because on average people are making 17 to 18. This is a fact. This is I'm not. This is a fact. 17 to 18 dollars an hour to be paid to stay home, and that is keeping people from going out to work. And that is helpful if you need it. I'm a huge humanitarian. I love helping people. I love doing charitable work. I I do a lot for my local hospital. I do a lot. But I don't know if this is the wisest thing to do to pay people to stay home Um, because it does hurt our economy and it erodes skills. You ever see somebody who's been out of the workforce for a few years and then they try and come back? It's hard. It's hard. hard. I I just, I've always said this, I wish that every Congressperson, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter, would be recipient of a Rubik's Cube. Because they all have this linear way of thinking and thinking, okay, so if I just turn this, everything else stays the same and we'll just get more of it. They don't understand and that's why you always hear unintended consequences. It's unintended consequence because they don't think it through. Yep. If somebody would show them the concept of a Rubik's cube, that if you turn this, it affects all the other sides. And that's why you have to be careful in trying to think it through. But they don't typically think that way. And that's why we get ourselves into trouble. So these are the things I'm looking at. It's a long way of answering your question, but there is a lot that I'm concerned about, Alex.
0: You know, and, and people are having the same thought process, Barry. So it's wonderful to have your insight just shared and let it go into people's brains and let them, you know, stir it around. Um, okay, so we're going to wind down here, Barry, but I got one more question that I absolutely love because it's a total different direction. And I, I just, I want you to put your loan officer hat on because, you know, you've got that street cred. And from Michael Stowers, he asks, if you're a brand new loan officer today, how are you time blocking or what are you doing to generate more business? And I love this question because it's so simple. We're talking about all this complex stuff. You know, what's going on with the world and the industry and the and, and, and recession and rates but like, you know, a loan officer is saying, how do I get more opportunities? What do you say, Barry?
1: So leverage is important. So the first thing is, is that, Michael, don't hate me for this, but I'm one of those people who have never believed in time blocking because yeah. I, I don't think that life happens when I want it to. And I think that for me, I am not so, um, I, I am not able to dictate how life happens. Um, I have to be adaptable to it. So that means that I have to be nimble. I have to be able to shift gears quickly and I have to be able to accomplish as much as I possibly can within the time that we're allotted. And time blocking means that there can be periods of wasted time. There can be periods of chasing. If I say, well, I'm going to return calls from this. I don't know if my customer likes that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I want to make my customer happy. In addition to that, I don't like playing tag and trying to communicate back and forth because now I'm available, they're not available. They're available, I'm not available. So the less I make myself available, um, the less my customers going to like me. Quite frankly, so the first thing is, is I don't, I don't want to um, discourage people who time blocking works for them, but on a personal nature, I don't believe in it. I believe in being adaptable and nimble, um, and 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 using my ability to To try and, and achieve as much as I can within the time that I'm given. Now, what can you do to create more opportunities? The first thing I said was leverage. So get yourself in front of more people. Uh, and one way to do that is Alex. You're the, you're the Alex, is the master of social media. So the first thing they need to do is they need to buy your book and uh, to use your term, become a web liberty. And this is the thing that they need to do. You have to have, to have great content, and we provide a lot of that. But if you start to give people things that 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 they are able to really tune into and learn from you, you become that Web celebrity. I love your term. That's your term, uh, which is a Web celebrity that people recognize you before you walk in. So the key is really just to, to talk to as many people as you can, but don't just talk to them, have something to offer because you can't give what you don't have. So the first step is feed your brain the best investments you can make. The next step is to practice your message. Do you practice? Do you record your phone conversations and then critique yourself and say, oh, that was awful, or that was really good. I did that for a long time, and I couldn't believe the crap that came out of my mouth. (laughs) But that's the only way I got better. Are we working to get better every day? And if you're on that where no matter what level you're at, you're working to get better every single day and reflecting and critiquing and improving, then leverage that, then do things on the web, post really valuable content that people will learn from. When you have conversations with individuals, have something to offer them that's of interest, you will be amazed at how many people will lever that for you and pass that along because you do that when you have a great experience, when somebody, oh, you got to talk to this, you got to talk to her, you got to talk to him. You got you to gotta, you gotta talk to my person, they're great, right? You know, my chiropractor is great, my my dentist is awesome. But somebody who makes you feel like you're really learning from them, you yep. need to be that person.
0: And, and Barry, I just want to capitalize on your comment. Um, so Michael and everybody else that's hanging out here, Barry says something very astute that I just love that I hope nobody misses which is you know, bring value to people. When you bring value to people and knowledge to people, it, it exponentially increases your ability to get, infl- to get opportunity back from them. And so a, a, cheap, a cheap example, or a, a, not cheap, but like a, 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 a easy example is take the CMA course with Barry and regurgitate what you're learning back to your community because they don't know it. And so as you're learning it, use the tools that MBS Highway and CMA provide And start to share that back with your community. You're going to be adding knowledge and value directly back to them. Take them on the journey you're on. You don't even don't don't profess you're a master of it. Just take them on the journey you're on and you'll be surprised at how much people reciprocate that. Thank you for the value and engage. So Barry, um, man, I super appreciate your time. It's always fun to get to rap with you, dude. I always learn a ton. Jimmy, Michael, I'm going to get some books your way. Um, thank you very for for answering some questions like that. Do you have any final nice, comments?
1: Nice to see, by the way, some of our dear friends here. You know, I just looked here. I'm looking and I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing like this is like an all-star. Oh, yeah, you, you got, got, Jake, M- you got M- Jimmy Josh Ryan, James. Jake Vermillion, Jenny Mason, Josh Pitts. I mean, the, these are the, Michael, all of you, uh, Gerard. All, all oh yeah. of you Guys are, are are are. I don't want to miss anybody. Matt, I see you on here too. You know, um, Joe. Th- Like It's like an all-star team. And you know what's crazy, Alec, is think about this. Every single one of those people is a star. Every single one of them. They're a star. Every single one. Those are the people you would think, oh, do I really need to take 45 minutes out of my day to do the Because they're probably all so busy. But forgive me for preaching to the choir because you know this better than anybody that, you're making yourself better every single day. So I I really hope to God that I was able to add a little bit of value because I know how valuable your time is. So I hope to God I was able to offer something to, uh, out of respect to all of you stars out there that are watching this uh, to make it worth your while. So that's what I really hope today.
0: Barry, you you definitely did, brother. I I always appreciate it. Everybody, thank you guys for hanging out with us today on this episode of the Modeling Podcast. We will see you guys on the internet. We appreciate everything you do and hanging out with us. And I hope you guys all have a wonderful day. Take care.